We live in an instant gratification culture. It's not popular to wait for anything. You pull up at a fast food drive through window and expect to be greeted in seconds. Microwaves have changed our expectation to meals done in minutes. The, the tedious wait for a, a dial-up internet service has been replaced by the immediacy of, of high-speed Wi-Fi access. There was a, a sociology experiment conducted on children several years ago, and I'm going to ask you to write down uh, this on your bulletin. Just It's called the marshmallow test. And we were going to watch that this morning. It's, it's really funny. But uh, you'll have to watch it on your own, own time here this afternoon. But uh, this is what the test tester said to the children. Take them into a room. They're by themselves. Now, on the table, they said, we're going to give you a, a marshmallow. And uh, you can go ahead and eat that. Or you can wait. And when I return, if you've waited, I'll give you two marshmallows. I'll double that. And so it's a lot of fun to watch the kids squirm and, and wrestle with that. And so check it out, the marshmallow test, and, and ask yourself honestly, you know, how would you have done on that? It's tough for adults to wait and delay gratification. I want to encourage you to pick up a, a copy of the book, Too Much. Uh, this is our, our gift to you. And it reinforces the, the messages in this Faith Promise series and provides some real practical wisdom that will bless you and others through you. So last week, the books flew off the shelves. We're all gone. We got another shipment. Help yourself today. Uh, they're, they're all over the building. You, you can find them at the Welcome Center, at the doorway, over in the, the cafe area. And, and be sure to read today's chapter, uh, chapter 8 which uh, corresponds to this, this message on, on saving. There are three truths uh, about the practice of saving that we need to discover. The first truth is that preparing for the future is greater than living for the moment. Preparing for the future is greater than living for the moment. One of the ways that we can prepare for the future is to each establish an emergency fund of $1,000 to help assist with some of those rainy day expenses, those car repairs that inevitably will, will pop up, that, that burst pipe, that plumbing expense, uh, money toward a vacation. Every year Christmas approaches and, and people say, uh, I've got to spend money on Christmas gifts. I hadn't really planned on that. And now I'm, I'm scrambling and having to charge my purchases on a credit card where most of us know that Christmas is coming every year on December 25th. And if we plan ahead, save through the year, establish a Christmas fund, do a layaway purchase, then it's not that big shock or, or gotcha at the, at the end. So one of the wisdoms of, of saving is established just a thousand dollar emergency fund for those incidentals that will come up in everyone's lives and then financial planners recommend after you've established an emergency fund of a thousand dollars then work to fund a reserve of three to six months of, of living expenses 
And that'll take more time to, to build, but it's, it's really important for your, your security. If you make a living that is commission-based, it's important that some cash reserves are, are held back to, to help weather the weeks and the months uh, between commission earnings. There's a, an example found in Scripture, Genesis chapter 39, that talks about this, preparing for the future. And this is when Joseph was in Egypt, and there uh, had been a prediction from God that there would be a famine on the land that would follow seven years of plenty. So seven years of prosperity, and then seven years uh, of famine. And so this is what Joseph advised the Pharaoh. He said, look for a discerning man and wise to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. He said, we're going to have these years of abundance, great crops. We're needing to back up some of that, store it in a secure government facility uh, where we can dispense that during those lean years. It says, the food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. And that was a plan from God. It's wisely stewarding the abundance to prepare the people for the lean years and that sustained the lives of many people. It goes on in verse 37 of Genesis 39 and says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to be submitting to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way, make way. And he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. That idea of storing up, saving, holding back, preparing for that rainy day is almost un-American in our culture. We, we want, expect, demand, instant gratification. Delay is, dis is disturbing. It's hard to wait. So many rush ahead. God's standard of abstinence before marriage seems outdated to many, so they sleep together or live together before marriage. God's restriction seems outdated to many in 2023, so they disobey rather than delay or wait until marriage. But God's way is the right way. And that same impatience and impulsivity 
affects the approach of many to handling finances. The idea of waiting and saving for a purchase seems too uncomfortable. And so they charge purchases on credit and overspend in a rush, unwilling to subordinate the appetite for more, the appetite for sooner, the appetite for can't wait, the appetite for I want it now. So preparing for the future is greater than living for the moment. That's the first countercultural truth that we need to, to see today as we look at saving. The, the second truth is starting small is greater than not starting at all. Starting small is greater than not starting at all. Some might conclude, well, I, I don't have much money, so why bother to save any? I, I don't have anything to save. Two guys were walking along, and one looked down and saw a, a dollar on the ground, and he asked his buddy, he said, if you saw a dollar on the ground, would you bend down to pick it up? His buddy said, nah. He said, are you that rich? He said, no, I'm so poor, it wouldn't make any difference. You know, why, why bother? Ben Franklin taught a penny saved is a penny earned. And great things can grow from small beginnings. So what does God say about this in his word? What, what are his principles toward this? He, he provides a, a divine principle that, again, is counterintuitive to this world's wisdom. This world says, don't wait, use it now, spend it. If you can't afford it, charge it, go get it. And, and listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 11. It, it warns, dishonest gain dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Starting small is greater than not starting at all. And even saving a little bit of money, little by little, can make a real difference. Proverbs teaches us to avoid get-rich-quick schemes and instead to faithfully work and save from our earnings. So instead of buying lottery tickets and, and hoping to, to strike it big, the Bible teaches a, a steady, systematic approach to handling money. A part of that savings involves a, a regular, systematic approach to giving back to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul taught the church at Corinth this deliberate habit, this systematic weekly obedience to, to giving back to God from our, our regular income. And he said, that way, when I come through and I'm going on a church planning trip, you don't have to scramble to try to come up with an offering. You'll be able to do a lot more for the kingdom if you've been saving it along the way. We gather that, and, and then I take it out and, and plant some churches. I, I want to tell you about a, a young lady in our church who has been learning this discipline of, of consistent giving, and, and that's Faith Reed. Maybe you saw uh, this week in the, in the Beacon, there was a, a nice write-up about her and, and talked about how she works at, 
one of the bakeries in, in Sunman there at the uh, the Lish Bakery, and she's earning her, her money, and then she's using a, an envelope system to, to save her money and, and prepare for the future. She's been saving for a major purchase and recently has been able to buy a, a computer with, with her own money from her own earnings. And she sets aside in her offering envelope her money to give back to the Lord and, and his work. And, and so that's a great discipline that even a young person can, can learn and begin to, to demonstrate in, in his or her life. And I'd like to give a shameless plug for the bakery because uh, she's there Tuesdays through Thursdays, I believe from 8 to 11. And on Thursdays, she's creating cookies that she's made and, and she's there visiting with the, the customers in and, and person. And they're really good cookies. And it's just a great way to support uh, one of our members that's, that's uh, trying to honor God with these principles of, of saving and giving back to God. So it's wise first, the Bible says, to invest money to earn interest and put our money to work until it is needed. And let's explore this teaching from God's words in Matthew 25, verse 27. It's, it's saying rather than just squirreling away one's cash in a mattress or burying it in a hole, it says, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You know, that's the, that, that principle there of, of returning on the investment. And you can at least gain some interest on it rather than burying it in a hole or stuffing it under your, your mattress. Uh, another reference, let's, let's go over to uh, the book of Luke. Uh, chapter 19, verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus and said, put this money to work until I come back. Then dropping the verse 15, he was made king and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And dropping down to verse 23, that same rebuke that we saw in Matthew 25 why didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I would have collected it with interest? So remember, starting small is greater than not starting at all. It's a biblical principle to, to work hard and honestly and gather money little by little and avoid the allure of a get-rich-quick scheme because those usually don't work out. Uh, let's consider a final concept that's embedded in Scripture this morning. Truth number three, and that is honoring God first is greater than keeping it for yourself. Billy Graham said, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help to straighten out almost every other area of his life. Do we have the right attitude toward money? Are we trusting God or are we trusting in money? Most people are more than willing to trust God for our eternal salvation, but when it comes to the area of our finances, many start to get a little bit nervous about trusting God. Martin Luther said, there are 
three conversions that must take place. He said the, the conversion of the heart, the things we love, the, the conversion of the mind, the things that we focus our thoughts on, and the conversion of the purse, uh, our, our money, our billfold, or the way we spend the resources we have. And he said, until we learn to trust God with our money, we really aren't converted. The first step on the road to financial recovery is to change our, our attitude, acknowledging the, the sovereignty of God in our finances. And that's what faith promise is about. As, as we've been reading through this book, listening to the messages, and have displayed our commitment card somewhere at home where we can see that. We're saying, Lord, how much would you have me give to your work through the church at Batesville in the next year? And, and so we're saying, God, I, I want to do things your way. I, I want your wisdom. I want your guidance. I'm willing to follow your principles. And with those, I, I want the accompanying blessings that you bring to our lives. Worrying about making ends meet isn't anything new. It's always been that way. And when Jesus was on the earth, he preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 that, that really talked about this tendency toward worry that, that all people struggle with. And it says, you know, why do you rush about saying, what are we going to eat? You know, or what are we going to wear? How are we going to take care of these, these expenses and these costs? And you know, everything's going up and in, in inflation. Sounds familiar, right? And, and this is how Jesus re reduced all those concerns. He said, seek first his kingdom, his father, and his righteousness. And all these things, food, clothing, job, these incidentals, they'll be given to you as well. If we put God first, he'll take care of the other things. They'll fall into place. But too often, we gravitate toward trying to find financial security to take care of our needs, and, and we cut God out of the equation and then wonder why we, we struggle. And so that the lesson, this third truth, is, is just the idea that honoring God first is greater than keeping it for yourself. In this week's chapter uh, from Too Much, it, it relates the, the true account of a woman named uh, Osceola McCarty. Miss McCarty lived a, a modest life. She worked her entire life doing laundry. She, she washed and dried and ironed clothes for other people. And when she died of, of cancer at, at the age of 91, this minimum wage worker left behind a very surprising financial legacy. She never owned a car. She walked wherever she went. She pushed a shopping cart nearly a mile to get groceries. In 1947, her uncle gave her the house in which she lived until her death. Early in her life, her mother had taught her to save money. And with earnings from her humble, lifelong occupation as a laundry lady. At her death, she was able to give the University of Southern Mississippi a bequest of a significant gift of $150,000.
See, live by the teachings of Jesus, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. And she cared for others, and in the end, she shared with others that which she had saved. She lived within her means, consuming less and conserving more. May we each develop that same discipline and apply the practice of saving. And when we do, it will impact our lives and the lives of others. When we live by seeking God first, uh, honoring God first, and giving to God first. Would you pray with me? Dear God, teach us to delay gratification. Teach us to save. Teach us to look out for others and, and not be consumed so much with self. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And you've promised us all these other things will be delivered to us as well. They'll fall into place. You'll take care of our needs. Help us to trust you and grow in our faith and in our obedience through this month of faith promise. We pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand right now as we sing. i
Sing 